0: So welcome everybody, good morning, I'm glad to be here, I'm, I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you today, it's an honor to be here, I hope you of all here listening ears, you're seeing eyes, you're perceiving heart this morning, because I believe God has a word for you. I'm just going to start off, because I'm already in the timer, so I'm just going to start off and, uh, with a statement, just an out of the blue statement, so I want you to listen to the statement see if it makes sense to you, and then we're just going to go from there. So I believe that before Jesus came into the world, all people conducted their lives pretty much the same way. They lived their lives based upon the education they received, the opportunities presented to them, the means that were theirs, the freedom they possessed, the influences around them, and for better or for worse, their own moral compass. Their existence was based on trying to live the best way they knew how, while dealing with the constraints placed on them by the governing authorities at the time. The reason I believe this to be true is because some things never change. And this is how the majority of people still live their lives today. As a matter of fact, you may say my opening statement pretty much fits your life now. And to that, I would say, if you're not a Christian, no problem. But if you are a Christian, there is a problem because there's something missing. You see as believers in Jesus Christ we are called and even more importantly equipped to live our lives in a different way. I would like to talk to you today about life after the resurrection, life after the resurrection. The world itself did not change the morning that Jesus the, uh, the morning of Jesus resurrection. We still live in the same fallen world today that existed before Jesus came. In fact, on this particular first day of the week, most of the world didn't even know who Jesus was, let alone the fact that he had died a few days prior, and they certainly did not know that on that particular morning, he was raised from the dead. The lives of of a few of his close followers were changed dramatically, but other than that, the world went on just as it always had, as though Jesus had never even been there. After Jesus was crucified, his disciples went into hiding Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. After seeing what happened to Jesus, I'm sure they figured that if they could do this to Jesus, what will stop the Jewish leaders from doing this to us? You may recall that even at the foot of the cross, there were only a few women and the Apostle John present. Everyone else had fled in fear. Why? The underlying truth is because they did not have an understanding of what was happening. Oh, they heard about it several times from Jesus but they did not have ears to hear. So they hid in fear, fear of what might happen to them, and fear that everything they believed about Jesus being the Messiah was not true. Even on the morning of the resurrection, when the first report came that the tomb was empty, and an angel said Jesus was alive, they still did not believe. When the woman came back from the tomb to where the disciples were hiding, and they told him, the tomb's empty, we saw an angel said that Jesus has risen. They still didn't believe. And it tells us in uh, an account that two of those disciples went on a little bit of a trip to a nearby town in Emmaus. And as they were walking, they were talking about things. The Bible says that Jesus appeared and walked with them as they went, but their their eyes were held, so they did not recognize it was Jesus. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? And one of the man's names was, was Cleopas, and he said to Jesus, he said, are you the only person in Jerusalem does not know what just happened? He's like, what? What happened? And they said there was a man named Jesus. He was a, a mighty man of God. He was a, uh, a teacher, a prophet. He performed miracles. But the Jewish leaders had him condemned and handed him over, and he was crucified. And this is what Cleopas said next. He said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped, had hoped. They no longer had any hope that Jesus was the one. So Jesus, the Bible tells us, explained to them everything that Moses and the prophets had explained that had to happen to the the Messiah. And then they had a little bit of a meal at the end. And the Bible says when Jesus broke bread, their eyes were open. They recognized him. And they saw it was Jesus. And as soon as they saw him, he vanished. Well, they hightailed it right back to the other disciples to tell them that they had saw Jesus. And here's where we're going to pick it up in Luke 24. Starting with verse 36. And just as they were telling about it, this is just as Cleopas and his his, uh, friend were telling about their account with Jesus on the road. It says, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that... I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And listen to verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Imagine what that was like. This whole time they were with Jesus for three years. He told them, he told them, he told them. And they're thinking, okay, we think we have an idea what's going on. We know what's going on. They never knew what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. They, They didn't quite get it because they were perceiving things in their own mind. But he opened their eyes to, to, to what the scripture said. Imagine what that was like for them at that time. Wow. Then he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and raise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. And now... I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. At this point, the disciples finally had true understanding of what the scriptures declared about Jesus. But they were still missing what was to be the most important thing in their lives, and is today the most important thing in our lives as Christians, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There are two main things that Christians possess that an unsaved person does not. First, Christians have received the free gift of redemption, meaning their sins have been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus. And second, God's spirit lives in them. The first of these two things stands out in the minds of all Christians. But somehow the second one, I believe, isn't considered nearly enough well, we're going to spend some time considering this this morning. And it's my prayer that you will see something that maybe you never saw before. So I want to take a few moments and go through some foundational scriptures explaining God's plan to send his spirit to live in us. We're going to start with John 14. Now, these, these, these foundational scriptures, you'll find them all in John. It's like John 14, 15, 16. This is the last time that Jesus spent with his disciples. This was after Uh, The Last Supper, just before he was betrayed and taken away, this is his last shot to try to tell them, explain to them, this is how it's going to be, okay? So if you're ever wondering what's important, I mean, it's all important, but you can read these verses again and again and again, because they'll minister to you. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Advocate, I looked it up in a dictionary, and one definition of it is one who publicly supports or recommends a particular course or policy. One who publicly supports or recommends a particular course or policy. If We think of advocates today, we think of a lawyer, basically. The Greek word for this is parakletos, and in the Strong's, the definition is this. An intercessor, counselor, advocate, comforter. It says in verse 17, Jesus said, He is the Holy Spirit who leads unto all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The Holy Spirit lived with them at the time because he was with Jesus and Jesus was with them. But Jesus was explaining to them that very soon this would no longer be the case because Jesus was no longer going to be with them. However, this was not going to be a bad thing. Even though the Holy Spirit would no longer be with them, he was now going to be in them and would never leave them. John 15 says this in verse 26. Jesus said, but I, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. In the previous chapter, Jesus said it this way. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. According to the definition I found uh, of the word advocate, the course or policy the Holy Spirit will advocate is Jesus Christ. Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, the most valuable thing is to know Christ Jesus and become one with Him. Now, that in the word "know" has many meanings, and one is just to have to know, to have a head knowledge of something. But this is not talking about just a head knowledge. Uh, the Bible, it's a different word because it's in, it's in Hebrew. But in the Old Testament, the word of a husband and a wife being intimate was that he would know her. That's an intimacy. And I guarantee that this is speaking more of an intimacy like that than it is of just the head knowledge. Head knowledge means nothing here. The Holy Spirit was sent to reveal Jesus to us. John 16 uh, says this in verse 5 and 7. But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But the fact is, the fact is, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus said that it was best for them that he go away. What he was actually saying is you will be better off if I go away. Now, Some people say how wonderful it would have been to be present with Jesus and to learn from him. Well, the disciples were with him and learned from him. How'd that go for them? How much did they retain? How much did they really receive of the truth? Not a lot. Not a lot because they didn't have ears to hear. They didn't have the spirit of God with them. So we truly today are better off because we have the spirit of God in us. As long as Jesus was on the earth, the Holy Spirit could not abide in anyone else. Because until Jesus paid the debt for our sins on the cross people still had sin in them, and God cannot abide where sin abides. Basically, the only, the only place the Holy Spirit could abide at that time was with Jesus. John 7, verses 37 and 39, it reads, on the last day, the climax of the festival, this is a festival, I think, of shelters, it was. Jesus said this, he stood and he shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me May come and drink. For the scriptures declare, listen, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Anyone who believes rivers of living water will flow from that person's heart. While he said the, while, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. See, John wrote that. The Gospel of John was written after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after the Holy Spirit was sent. When John was at this event, when Jesus said this, he never would have wrote that last thing because he had no idea what it meant. But he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, understanding things now, he was able to write that thing, that last bit that said that he, the Holy Spirit had not been given yet because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory after appearing to his disciples and others several times for about six weeks after his resurrection, Jesus did enter into his glory. As his disciples watched, he ascended to once again sit with the Father in heaven. And a few days later, the Holy Spirit was sent. It tells us in Acts 2, starting in chapter 1, we read this. On the, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. When they received the Holy Spirit, there was like tongues of fire, the Bible says, that came down and set on them. When Jesus was baptized and received the Holy Spirit in the Jordan River, a dove settled and came on him. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, you have to read from there on yourself, and maybe most of you have. But if you haven't, you should go back and read because some pretty miraculous things happened right after that. Once they received the Holy Spirit, through them, they, their mouths were opened in more ways than one. But even Peter preached the message right after this, and it says that 3,000 people were saved. So he went from scared, not knowing what was what, to being filled with the Spirit and empowered to do what God had called him to do. And he was able to open his mouth and... and, and uh, And have those people saved? this is where the New Testament actually begins. I know if you look at your Bible, it says Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels are in the New Testament, but they're really not. Jesus lived in the Old Testament. He taught the New. He taught the New Covenant that was coming, but he was in the Old Testament. It wasn't until he died on the cross, was resurrected again, and sent his spirit. That's where the New Testament begins. That's where we live right now. If you believe in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did at the cross, Your sins are forgiven, never to be held against you again. They can't be because Jesus paid the price for them in full. You have become a new creation in Christ with the promise of everlasting life. This is where the life of every Christian begins. It is where the life after the resurrection begins. For all those who call on the name of the Lord. It is here that you are sanctified, set apart from the world, and live in a state of grace with a future that is secure. But what about living our everyday lives? The only thing you had to do to become a Christian was believe in the work of Jesus. God took care of everything else. It even says in the book of Ephesians, when it comes to our salvation, there's nothing we can boast about since the only thing we did was accept a free gift. But now we have to do something. We have to live our life. And though it is true, as Christians, you are no longer of the world, we still have to live in the world. But God does not expect us to live a Christian life on our own. He knows that we cannot live a Christian life on our own. That is why he sent his Holy Spirit. God sent his Spirit to live in you. To be your counselor, your teacher, your helper, and your strength. He is always with us. He will never leave us. That is God's promise. The biggest question really is, do you allow him to do the things that he was sent to do in your life? I have an example I use often. Maybe you've heard me say it again already, but I apologize if you have. But when I teach the kids, when it comes like the power of the Holy Spirit, I use an example of a refrigerator. You have a full refrigerator. Doors closed. If you have kids, you know, close the door. And you're later looking with the door open. My son used to sit there with the door open looking. I guess I do too. But here's a full refrigerator full of food. But, and here you are standing right here. But if you don't open those doors and partake of the sustenance that comes from that, you're going to starve to death. It's right next to you. It's right there. You have everything you need for life. But you have to open those doors. If you don't, you receive nothing from it. That's like the Holy Spirit. He's there, absolutely there, but you could just ignore him. And if you ignore him, then you're on your own. So let's let's look at some of the things that the Holy Spirit living in our lives does in our life today. The first thing we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit reveals the things of God to us. He reveals the things of God to us. 1 Corinthians 2 Verse 10 through 12 say this, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. Once again, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. First point, God is, God's, it's not God's plan to keep secrets from us. It's not. It's all revealed. It may seem a little mysterious sometimes. You know what, mysteries are just things you don't understand yet. A lot of mysteries are solved, are are understood very, very simply once you know what it is. It's in his word. It's his plan. No one can know, it says in verse 11, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. Listen to what he's saying. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. So how are we going to know his thoughts? God wants us to know his thoughts towards us so much that he gave us his spirit to explain them to us. Verse 12, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given to us. Once again, God wants us to know the things that he's freely given us. He even wrote a book about it. I don't know if it's on the bestseller list or not, but in this world, it probably isn't. The second thing we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses by interceding for us. It says in Romans eight twenty six and 27, starting in verse 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. We're going to stop right there for a minute. We all have times when our prayer life is not strong. Have you ever had a time when you couldn't even bring yourself to pray? had no idea what to pray for, no words would even come? Or how about this? I I know this case to be true many times. Or how about you are praying for something, something specific. It's what you think you should be praying for, what you think you need, but it may not be what God wants you to be praying for. The fact that God's ways are above our ways means that our agendas will not always be the same. I guarantee there's lots of times when we're praying for something and we're saying, Lord, this is what I need. This is what I need because you think it's what you need. An easy example is finances. Probably all pray for finance. Lord, my bill's got to be paid. I need finances. And I'm not saying don't pray for finances. But a lot of times he's probably saying, I know that. I'm your provider. But he's saying, but right now I have something else that I want you praying for. Maybe, maybe it's a closer, a closer walk with him. Maybe it's something that you should be doing for somebody else. Sometimes the things that we think in our mind are what we need, God says, that's not it. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're focused on the wrong thing. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have do, be doing not the thing that I want to do, but the thing that God wants me to do. And the Bible says that he reveals those things to us. Even on the two Sundays ago, uh, Pastor Jose was speaking on when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And they were laying palms at the feet and they, were, and they were praising him. Hosanna as their king. They were praising him because they said, this is the king. He's coming to deliver us from Rome. That's what they were thinking in their minds. That was their thought. And God's like, you guys just don't get it. If you had an inkling of what I'm really going to do for you, You could be slaves in Rome the rest of your life, and you could give a hoot. What I'm really going to do for you, but your ways, that's what you're looking for. God's ways are higher than our ways. So sometimes we pray for things unknowingly. We think we're praying right, but we're not. It says, in the second part of the verse, it says, But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Groanings that cannot be expressed in words. In some translations read cannot even be uttered The sounds can't even be made now this is not referring to you praying to your prayer language where your spirit is praying and the reason i know this is because it says here the bible says here the holy spirit prays for us not coming out of our mouth it's coming from him okay and since i know that this is true and i have never heard an actual groaning It shows a direct path from the Spirit to the Father. It says the groanings can't even be heard or uttered. I don't think you're going to hear any groanings. Maybe you have. I don't know. But in this case, and I'm not saying you you have a prayer language where your spirit prays. But this is talking about God's praying for you directly. The Spirit of God is praying directly to the Father. Verse 27 says, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. That makes sense. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Because God's Spirit knows exactly what we need, he prays God's perfect will for us. The next thing I want to look at is the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. John 16, beginning in verse 13, reads, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Once again, revealing Jesus to us, seeing Jesus. That's our walk as a Christian. Our job is to see Jesus more and more and more, who he is, what he did for us, what we have from him. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The world is full of many different so-called truths. What is true to one person, another person finds to be poison. That is the outcome when you seek truth in this world. The only true truth is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus Christ to you if you are seeking him. If you are seeking him. And he'll do that in many ways. I mean, things just come. They'll just come to you. They will. And you'll know when it's the Spirit. You may be confused sometimes. Is that just my own thought? He'll confirm it if it is. But the, the way he's going to reveal Jesus to you most is the Bible. When you read the Bible, he's going to reveal that. He's going to reveal truth to you. His disciples lived that Bible. The Gospels, they lived it and didn't get it. We're reading the same things they were living, and we just got part of it. They lived, you know, I know we got what we need because the Lord is not going to leave out things we don't need. But they saw more than we had in here. John says if if all the things that Jesus did were written down, the books in the world couldn't hold it all. They were with him. They saw it all, and they still didn't get it. But when we read it, God's spirit will reveal it to you. And he'll reveal to you in a way sometimes that will be absolutely life changing. The next one is the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 7, reads this way A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So we can help each other. That's what they're for helping the church, helping other believers. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, I truly believe it's not like the Holy Spirit decides, okay, this person gets this gift, and that's it for life. They have that gift, and that's it. I think that he decides and he discerns at the time which gift that person should have, what gift he wants that person to have so that person can aid, help another person, right? So if you are open to this, to the gifts, God can use you at any time. If you said, I've never had a gift, I've never, I've never had any of these things, it doesn't mean that you never will, but you have to be open to it. If you're not acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit don't expect any of these gifts to manifest in your life. The next one is the Holy Spirit enables us to bear good fruit in our lives. Good fruit. He enables us to bear good fruit. We're going to go to Galatians 5. starting with, uh, yeah, chapter 5, starting with verse 22. But I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack. It's not up there. But um, verse 16 in Galatians reads this way. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let him. Allow him to guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I'll give you a little bit of an in on the sinful nature. When you were born again, the Bible says that surgery would happened, and it was circumcised from your body. Your sinful nature is no longer attached to you. It's not. But it's there. Actually it says, we'll read a little later, we nailed it to the cross. But it's always around. You can always pick it up and play with it. It's always there. But the Bible says you are not under obligation to do that. You are not obligated to it. Okay. So if you read out to verse 16, it tells us of all the things or some of the things, most of the things that are of the sinful nature. All the things that would be the fruit of that. We're going to skip over that. And we're going to read starting from verse 22, which is what the Lord tells us is the fruit of the spirit of God. Living in us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And I'll put in parentheses there, if we allow Him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sin nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You have to let the Spirit lead you. So what kind of fruit are you producing in your life? Are they the fruits we just read? If not, maybe you should go back and read between verses 16 and verses 22. Then you can judge for yourself if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide your life or if you're doing it on your own. Pastor Jose always says, if the shoe fits, don't wear it, change it. And that certainly is the case here. But I can tell you from past experience, and I know this to be true, you can't change this shoe without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. Don't try. You'll just fail. But he's always there for you that you can. There's even one thing we know that we do not get from the Holy Spirit. And that's in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Now, I know that in the context of what what, uh, Paul is writing here uh, to Timothy, it's about fear about preaching the gospel. And that's what it's about there. But I do believe that this is in any area of our life. Okay, in any area of our life, it counts. Fear is not from God and did not come from the Holy Spirit. So those are just some of the things that God's Spirit is here to help us with. In our walk, I know you heard the things I just spoke about, but the question is do you live your life like it's a reality? How often do you consider the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you? The scriptures we just read, and these are just some of them, prove this to be true. The only way you can question it is to question God's Word. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. So I have a question for you, and this is a, a long question. It's a very run-on sentence. I have to shut off when I, when I write something. I have to shut off. I leave the spoke check on it because I need it badly. But I shut off the grammar check because there's so many marks and things on there. Forget about it. I'll never get it right, so I just give up. But anyway, but Paul wrote in some good run-on sentences in, the, in, the, in, the, in his letters too, so I'm, I'm good company. So here's a question. So listen to this question. Why is it? As Christians, we have no problem knowing God sent Jesus to be our redeemer and that we are saved by the power of his selfless death on the cross, which paid the debt that we never could for our sins, while at the same time not know. I mean know that same power was sent to live in us just as Jesus said it would, he would be and that through him God is absolutely there for us Each and every day. Why do we know one? Oh, yeah, Jesus died for me. But sometimes we just don't even consider. Oh, yeah, God lives in me. His spirit is in me all the time. When I got done writing this sentence, the Lord put something in my heart. I know he did. The moment I got done (laughs) typing the last last part of this, two words came into my mind. Refuge and strength. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look that up. I know it's a verse somewhere, refuge in my strength. I know that is. I don't know what it is. Thank God for computers. Little search, and there it is. And it was Psalm 46. And I believe with all my heart that God showed me this and that this is a sign. This is a, sh- uh, a shadow of the Holy Spirit that is to come, all right? And it reads like this. God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. The Holy Spirit is always there in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and when the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as waters surge. Verse 4. A river brings joy. A river brings joy. The Holy Spirit is that river that brings joy. And listen to this. Joy to the city of our God The sacred home of the Most High. Where does God dwell today? There's no more temple on this planet. When Jesus died on the cross, the the, the curtain was ripped in two and the Holy Spirit left. He's in Christians now. He's in you. The Spirit of God is in you. He's there. Verse 5 says, God dwells in that city. He dwells in you in his Spirit. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The Bible likens the Holy Spirit to water. Water is refreshing. Thank you. (laughs) Water represents strength. After all, the heaviest ships in the water just float effortlessly on them. Water represents the essence of life itself. But he's not likened to just any water. For example, the Holy Spirit is never likened to a pond a body of stagnant water, sometimes it doesn't even have an outlet or an inlet. One of the things the Bible does liken the Holy Spirit to actually Jesus likened him to, is a river, always moving, but not just moving anywhere, instead following with I'm sorry, flowing with direction down its prescribed path, always ending up in the same place. There is a predetermined path and destination for each of us where God's Spirit will lead us if we acknowledge Him and follow His leading. After all, He knows the plans He has for us. I have a visual that, just a second. I have a visual that I hope will help you uh, to internalize the fact that it's a fact. That as a Christian, the spirit of God lives in you. So in, Jesus said in John 4, verses 14, he says, Anyone who comes to me and drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. He says, but it would be like a fresh, bubbling spring that rises up in you and leads to salvation, leads to eternal life. The Holy Spirit is that bubbling spring. He is God himself living inside you to refresh and restore you. A bubbling spring is a depiction of a never-ending flow of life. As it said in Psalm 46, he is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Even though he's always there, he will never force himself upon you. So it's up to you. You can acknowledge him and receive his help, or you can live your life on your own. I opened up with a statement on how I believe the world lived its life before Christ, and I believe the same thing can still be said today. I said they lived their lives based upon the education they received, the opportunities presented them, the means that they have, the freedom they possess, the influences around them, and for better or for worse, their own moral compass. Even though we are not of this world, I believe this statement can be used for the life of a Christian as well, if we just tweak it a bit. As a Christian, you should live your life based on your education, knowing that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. The opportunities presented to you, knowing that God is the one who opens doors. The means that you have because God is your provider. The freedom that you possess because Christ has set you free. And the, and allowing the thing that influences you be Christ in you who is your hope and glory. As far as moral compass goes, I would say the foundation I would say the foundation of all morality must be built on the rock of Christ Jesus and not be allowed to be tossed to and fro by the subjectivity of this world. If you look to man for morality, you will end up shipwrecked on the rocks. I want to close this morning by reading how Paul ended his first letter to the Thessalonians. If your Bible has subtitles, this one is probably titled something like Final Instructions or Benediction. And it's a list of things that Paul instructs the church to do. Let's use this as a practical application of what we just heard. As we read this, I want you to focus on the fact that, that um, the Spirit of God lives inside you and that he is your counselor, your teacher, your helper, and your strength. Because in your own strength, you will be able to do very little of this. But through the Holy Spirit, you can do it all. I'd like to do something a little bit different, a little bit of audience participation here. So we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 28. What I would like you to do from verses 12 to 22, I would like you to respond, if you're so willing, um, Just respond to each verse, I will with God's help, knowing that God's help comes through the Holy Spirit. Like I said before, this is a list of things that, that Paul is saying, this is what the church should be doing, what we should be doing, but you're not going to be able to do it on your own. If you don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit in you, you're in your own strength, and good luck with that. So if we could do that, if we could just at the end of each verse between 12 and 22 respond, I will with God's help. It starts here. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Oh, I'm sorry. I just paused for a moment. Is it up there? Yeah. you got to wait till you get to the end of the verse. Sometimes I talk in the middle. And in this body, that's Pastor Jose and Pastor Annette, Okay. They're the ones that we're honoring here. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. I will with God's help. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peaceably with each other. I will with God's help. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. I will with God's help. See see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. I will with God's help. Always be joyful. I will with God's help. Never stop praying. I will with God's help. Be thankful in all circumstances, not for, but in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I will with God's help. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. I will with God's help. Do not scoff at prophecies. I will with God's help. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. I will with God's help. Stay away from every kind of evil. I will with God's help. And the end says here, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body keep blameless until the Lord Jesus comes again. I'm sorry, I paused there. No, we're, we're past that part. That's my bad. I went to look up at the clock to see what time I got. We're already into the minus here. God will make this happen for you. He calls you his, he, he calls you, I'm sorry. God will make this happen for he calls you, for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. This is Paul saying, pray for us as the leaders of the church. Pray for Pastor Jose. Pray for Pastor Annette. Um, Pray for us. Greet all brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. I just read this last part to you. I commission you to go back and read the rest yourself. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As Christians, we are not supposed to, and we're never meant to live our lives on our own. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew that mankind would fall. So he already had a plan. His plan to rectify this was to send Jesus as our Redeemer and then the Holy Spirit as our Helper. To participate in this plan, you must first acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, knowing that he is the only way to the Father. And second, you must acknowledge that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And only through him will you be able to live a victorious life. If you haven't figured it out by now, trust me when I say, you can't do it. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that He spoke to you powerfully, and that He met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages. Uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.